Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. We're heading off to Australia and New Zealand, where we will be appearing live and recording an episode in Christchurch on the 11th of May, Auckland on the 14th of May, Wellington on the 15th of May, Adelaide on the 18th of May, Perth on the 20th, Sydney on the 23rd, Melbourne on the 25th, Brisbane on the 27th, and finally Canberra on the 28th of May. So get in and get your tickets now. They are going very fast. Please go to guiltyfeminist.com and just click on live shows for any of these events. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. I'm a feminist, but when I see a woman drinking beer, I do assume she's at least bi. <laughs> if she drinks beer. Yeah. The thing is, I love beer, and I don't drink... Exactly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't drink it that often for... Sure. Yeah. Just Health in college, reasons. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I dabble with beer is what I'm saying. Yeah. I would like it's to drink... It's a holiday drink, sure. I would like to drink... <laughs> I'd like to drink beer more than I do. Listen. Wouldn't we all? <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I recently said to a woman who had children, I don't believe giving birth is as hard as writing a book. <laughs> because if you're a quitter, it doesn't matter. If you quit giving birth, birth will just finish up on its own. <laughs> but if you, if you quit writing a book, it's just never gonna come out of you. 
So it takes more self-discipline to write a book than have a baby, because the baby's doing a lot of the work in getting out of you. And the doctors and the doulas that people have and the midwives and... In a way, what is the woman really doing at all? It's hard for me to get on board with the narrative that says that, in many ways, male babies do the labor rather than women do the labor. But I hear you, and congratulations on your book. <laughs> really, it's beautiful. I know it must be very difficult to give birth. If you have given birth, or you're, in fact, you're listening to this podcast while giving birth, and you're screaming, I'm so Shut sorry. the fuck up at me. Now, I completely get that. I haven't given birth, and I don't know what it's like. And Jessica Foster says it's like a horror movie. I'm a feminist, but I would have, would, trade head for housework. Thank you to the few people who laughed at that. Uh, the rest of you are liars, um, and that's fine. I what, hope you feel good. What do you what mean? I'm saying is, like, I would... <laughs> Deborah, I'm saying I would give my partner a head to not have to be the one who makes breakfast. Yeah, that's just marriage, isn't it? <laughs> what you're describing is basically marriage. Then why does everyone look so horrified? <laughs> Because there's certain things we don't say out loud in oh, Britain. Okay, yeah, I got um, <laughs> I'm a feminist, but when I see women on Instagram with dyed armpit hair, I do think, when do you have the time though? Because I don't have time to even like touch my roots up sometimes, which I know I don't have to because we can have gray hair and gray hair is a good thing and it's a feminist thing and there's nothing wrong with it. I don't want it and that's also feminist to not want it. Or maybe it's not feminist to not want it, but it is. It doesn't matter, I'm doing it. So, I'm a feminist, but when I picture the epitome of female beauty, like when I really close my eyes and imagine it, it is always the men from RuPaul's Drag Race that I see first. <laughs> I'm a feminist, and when I saw the Gillette ad of the men stopping each other from being toxically masculine, I was a bit moved but also mainly what I thought was Gillette have done the market research and they know it's mostly women who buy the razors for their partners. That's what I deduced. Yeah. I don't think... All of the sorts of men who go, I'm never buying Gillette again, aren't men that buy any products for the house. They don't buy anything for themselves. They don't know where their own underpants are from. The men who give a fuck about that ad and who are going onto YouTube to do the thumbs down haven't bought their own toiletries in their lives because their mothers bought them and then their wives bought them. Gillette is not here to overthrow the patriarchy. Gillette didn't do this ad what? five years ago. <laughs> no. It's an exclusive revelation here at The Guilty Feminist. They've done this ad to be in step with this time because they realised they had a dodgy slogan, the best a man can get, and that sounded a bit like... Had just a, a twinge of me too about it. You can't put your finger on it, but you feel someone has. Um, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? And they've gone, oh shit, what do we do with this now? Do we just forget about it? Do we just quietly change our slogan and pretend we never said that? No. What we will do is a video where men physically restrain each other in the street from catcalling. I was a little bit moved because I'm a sucker for anything like that, you know, and if I'm feeling a bit hormonal, I'll cry at almost any advertisement. But I was a little bit moved, but I was like, 
I just thought about it. I just thought, I just don't believe they're going to lose money over this. Do you know what I mean? It's like with the Colin Kaepernick Nike advert, right? So they worked out that the people they would lose would be, who would say, I'm never buying Nike again. Actually, they were such losers. They actually bought Nike products to burn them on YouTube. Lol. So, I mean, excellent, excellent. People were going out, I've already burnt my Nike socks, now I want to burn something else for Instagram. Oh, I'm going to go out and buy a Nike hat and to boycott it. Can I just say, by the way, you got heckled during talking about the Gillette ad with the best and most guilty feminist heckle ever, which was by this woman over here. Oh. who was like, also, you should buy men's razors because they're cheaper and I agree but also I love that it was like just FYI don't be duped by those fuckers oh because we buy them because they're cheaper they are they're 25% cheaper than women's ones than the pink ones yeah so the and the and the Venus range of things called like Lush and I don't know what are the the names of the Venus ones are all like mmm and (laughs) what (laughs) they do what the men's ones work better is yeah. this a work? This it's is like a focus group now, isn't it? <laughs> the men's ones work, but what are the women's ones called? Glide, breeze. Glide. Breeze. Glide, breeze. So when Gillette get their act together and make a gender-neutral razor, that is when we will celebrate and the patriarchy will truly be smashed. I agree. The patriarchy won't really be smashed if yeah, you're like, just to be clear. <laughs> I love your optimism. Not yes! Then our job will be done. No, it will not. They could call it the Celine Dion. It'll be great. Shave. It'll be great. <laughs> a closer shave, did you say? <laughs> Close shave. Live from King's Place in London, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest star host Catherine Bohart, and very special guests Rose Cartwright, Charlie Clive, and Kirsty Swain talking about order. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. So today we are talking about order. Yes. I have issues with order. I feel like I'm a creative personality. I have a lot of the traits that typically, stereotypically go with a creative personality, which means you could not look inside my handbag because you would freak the freak out. You would, like, scream and cry or something. I don't know what you'd do, but you would not be like my handbag. I believe you. Um, <laughs> this feels like a special private moment and you should leave. Um, <laughs> But I do think there's something to be said for feminism needs to be... We're fighting for change. And if you're fighting for change, to some extent, you need to be an army. And if you're going to be an army, to some extent, you need to be ordered because I waste time because I'm not ordered. But then sometimes I just think, this is just my process. And how will I create the creative spaces that I need to create in order to do my contribution to feminism, which is things like this. So maybe I need to accept that my place in the army is to be Private Benjamin, and as a reference, many of you don't understand, it's a Goldie Horn film about a young woman who joins the army and complains that there's no curtains and she's going to be up too early and asks if the uniforms come in any other colour but khaki because it doesn't suit her. So I feel like maybe in this army, I'm not the one that should be ordered. I struggle with it so much because I think organisation is fundamentally key to changing the world. You can't change the world with loads of ideas that don't get seen through. But also, am I just fighting my personality to put it into this kind of patriarchal box where they've decided it's got to be like this? Because what's more ordered than Gilead? (laughs) 
which is the fictitious future dystopia that The Handmaid's Tale is set in, right? That's all okay. about order. And if you go into some of those patriarchal societies, everything's very rigid. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, I'm not sure that chaos isn't anathema to patriarchal structures because it, in many ways, means that we're not as controllable. Like, if we're ordered and following a regiment, then we are more predictable. And so, actually, it's not necessarily true that we have to well, be. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. So, what I want to do is harness order in the right place in my life, but also organized chaos, I think, is probably the future that I need to be aiming for. Yeah. How do you feel about order and feminism? Do you mean order in terms of within feminism or order as a concept and feminism as well? I, take it however you will. Uh, we should pro- you should probably say... I was going to say, I'm just going to tell you. Okay. Are you going to do... Do you want to do I mean, it in the stand-up? Yeah, well, I, was, I mean, I could give you an overview. No, do it, do it in the stand-up and then we'll hear. That's fine. Okay. All right. Uh, please welcome to the stage... Oh. <laughs> The hilarious Catherine Bohart. Hello. So, something I was not aware of having until I was 23 years old was obsessive compulsive disorder. Until then, I just thought I was a little bit intense. <laughs> Turns out, guys. I'm a lot intense, and I'm mentally ill, which is fine. OCD, if you don't know what it is, lots of people don't. Don't beat yourselves up about it. Obsessive compulsive disorder. Lots of people have a little tick they like to do when it comes to OCD. I'll say I have OCD, and they'll say, oh, I'm a little bit OCD. (laughs) Anyone think they're a little bit OCD? Diagnosed? Because otherwise it's not the same. It's not the same. It's so interesting to me because people will often say, I'm a little bit OCD, and you think, well, listen to the words in the disorder. You can't be a little bit obsessive, can you? Or a little bit compulsive. You're not doing it right, my friend. You're not doing it right. But also, I do understand it. I think partly it's because we don't know how to deal always with conversations around mental health. Certainly the standard is not, oh, I don't know what that is. Can I please have some more information? Instead, I find we tend to treat conversations around mental health a lot more like brunches from Sex in the City. <laughs> so one person will go, oh, I have this thing, and everyone will go, oh my God, same, babe, me too, same, same. And you're like, rimming, you all like rimming, who knew? <laughs> that joke's not logical, people just like rimming. Um, <laughs> even guilty feminist audiences. <laughs> good, good, good. But you know, something else I think other people are trying to do, what they're trying to do is kind of have a bit of a humble brag that they're an adult, right? Because it's an opportunity to say that they do things they should probably do anyway, right? So they're like, oh yeah, I wash my hands. Oh yeah. I turn the gas off. I don't put the kettle in the microwave. Oh yeah. I know what I'm, I know what I'm about. And you're like, come on now, we're a room full of adults. Do we not all have clean hands? I need someone to cheer or not. <laughs> I'm not feeling safe right now. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, But yeah, I think the other thing is that people think that they are saying that you have something in common, right? It's their way of showing empathy and solidarity. So they assume that you just like cleaning and they like cleaning. So you guys are going to get on. But here's the thing about people with OCD. We don't like our compulsions, right? It's not my hobby to go around after my girlfriend going, you missed a spot. She thinks it's my hobby. It's not my hobby. Um, We don't like doing our compulsions, right? We're just terrified of what will happen if we don't do them. It's like when straight people get married. Does that make (laughs) sense? 
sense is a distinction, right? Do we understand it? Now, it's a little bit tricky to explain that distinction sometimes, right? To say that you're actually terrified of the consequences of not doing something rather than that you love doing something. And so I was trying to explain this to my parents who are ardently Catholic people. Now that's a tricky sell, right? Because you're trying to tell Catholics that you're terrified of a non-specific terrible thing happening <laughs> if you don't engage in seemingly ridiculous ritualistic behavior. <laughs> They're like, uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, a doctor, Catherine? No, she'll just come to Mass with the rest of the family. Say your prayers properly, obviously, like a good girl, and then don't eat meat on a Friday. Whatever you do, don't wank, or God will be mad forever. It's fine. <laughs> and you go, okay. No, to be fair to my parents, they were probably unaware of OCD until I said I had it, and they did okay. You know, my dad's first reaction was, oh my God, Catherine, don't they have a name for everything these days? <laughs> Are you sure you're not just tidy? <laughs> Did not just be tidy? It's not the official diagnosis, Dad, no. My mother, on the other hand, had to explain my absence, right? Because when I was first diagnosed, I was hospitalized for four months. Okay, gonna give some people a moment here to unclench. I'm fine, don't worry, I'm out. I mean, they don't know I'm out, but I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I'm out. And, uh, and so my mom had to explain my absence, right? Because when I was being raised, you know, if a young Irish woman went missing for a couple of months, <laughs> You best have a story. <laughs> and so my mom started saying, oh, she's gone, she's gone to summer camp. Yeah, which I think at 23 sounds <laughs> implausible at best, implausible at best, I'd say. Since I've started doing this stuff on stage, I've started to meet this particular type of woman at the end of my gigs, and she's amazing. Because I only recently started talking about OCD on stage. Uh, I was just trying to get the bit perfect. And, um... <laughs> You're right, that's all I deserved. Fine. Uh, oh, very self-aware. Good for you. Now, um, this woman, I started meeting her at the end of my gigs, and she'll come up to me at the end. She's very enthusiastic. She drinks Chardonnay, speaks fast. She's my type of girl. And uh, she doesn't always know the difference between enthusiasm and invasiveness. Do you know what I mean? That kind of lady. And she'll tend to say this. She'll tend to say, Catherine, so interesting, so brave. So interesting, so brave. So interesting. Can I just ask, how mental are you? <laughs> yes. Or some variation of that question. And to be fair to her, I think you have to respect her, right? Because what she's basically asking is, what is the Channel 5 documentary version of your illness? <laughs> I want the dirt, you know? And I respect her because, listen, I like watching some guy called Brian who's scared of pens crying about it on the telly as much as the next guy. <laughs> it's good TV, right? It's good TV. But the answer that she wants is for me to say, oh my gosh, I just cannot get a manicure unless it matches my pedicure. And I can't, that's for animals, but still. Um, you know, then we high five and sanitize and we're all done with it. Uh, the reality is that I spent four months in group therapy, which is not a fun story. Has anyone done group therapy? Yes, okay, that's fine. You don't want to bond, that's fine. Uh, my, uh, my experience of group therapy is that it's a lot like stand-up comedy, except everyone gets a turn, so it can be dull. <laughs> Ooh, it's dull. Also, it takes a long time to get those meetings started with uh, OCD people, because I don't know if you know how long it takes to make a perfectly circular group of chairs, <laughs> but oh, it's a long time, guys, it's a long time. I will leave you on this. I find the most interesting thing about OCD, and I think a lot of mental health treatment, but especially group therapy, is that it's premised on one particular notion. The premise of group therapy is that people with mental illness or mental disorders of any kind have empathy for other people with men mental disorders and mental illness. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> we don't always. And so we can all do better and all be more aware 
Oh, guilty feminist audience, you're lovely. You'll be very kind and you're very aware. And so I get quite anxious talking about being mental in front of you. Because as I say that, I think they're not going to like the word mental. <laughs> but that's okay, because I am and you can't take it away from me. Okay, folks, you've been lovely. Thank you very much. Our guest today are the creators of the new Channel 4 show, Pure. Please welcome screenwriter Kirsty Swain, actor Charlie Clive, and the writer of the original memoir, Rose Cartwright. So, Rose, this is based on a memoir by you. Yes. And it's about something that's called Pure O, mm -hmm. which is a form of obsessive-compulsive disorder. But it's not the one we think of, which tends to be more like Catherine's diagnosis. You're calling me like a basic OCD bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I would never do that. I well, have that's what I heard. So. I am so sorry. No, that's fine. But when I think of OCD, I think of somebody me. who tidies and wants order in your environment. Mm -hmm. But Pure O isn't like that, is it? It follows the similar rules. Uh, Pure O is just a nickname for another way that OCD can manifest. And really all OCD is about having thoughts, obsessions, urges, doubts that you then feel compelled to do something about with a compulsive action, whether that's a physical compulsion or a compulsion in your mind. And Pure O, which is what the show's about and what the book's about, is about having intrusive thoughts that are often sexual or violent or inappropriate in nature that you then feel compelled to figure out. I read a book by Robin Ince called I'm a Joke and So Are You, and it was a lot about comedy and psychology. And he says that those little thoughts that we all get, you know when you're standing on a train platform and you think I could just push someone under a train now? Okay, that's just yes. me. Yes. That is just me. Yes. Okay. Uh, or I could jump under a train now. Yeah. One of those that you get. Or and you're in an art gallery and you think, oh, I could just push that statue over. Um, what he says is that, from his research, that that's a little instructional video. You know those 1950s Pathé videos which says, when engaging in sexual intercourse, always wear a rubber johnny. It's one of those to tell you what not to do, so it plays the possible future. And I feel so much more relaxed now, I know that, because mm -hmm. if I have those thoughts, I think it's not me wanting to do that, it's my brain showing me what not to do. Is it sort of an exacerbated version of that part of our brain that we all have? Uh, yeah, it is. There's a kind of a spectrum of obsession and intrusive thoughts are something that most of us will know what it's like to experience. So we all know what it's like to have that thought about like, oh my God, I can't believe I just thought of that. You mentioned like the train platform or maybe it's a violent urge to push somebody or worse. And I think that's why we hope Pure's going to be like, so broadly appealing because it has that in. Like, you're like, okay, yeah, I get that. I know what it's like to have an intrusive thought. Exacerbated is a word, but it's more like to like the nth, 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 nth degree with OCD because you won't have that thought uh, a couple of times a day that you're then able to dismiss. You'll have that thought literally thousands of times a day that you're making worse by trying to make it go away with a compulsive behaviour. So at its worst, as you see Marnie in the show, as I experienced in real life, it's literally 24-7 from the moment you wake up, you're having intrusive thoughts and you're trying to figure out what they mean. 
Um, oh. So, yeah. 24-7 you're having these... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll have, like, three or four seconds of forgetfulness when you wake up, and then you'll have your first intrusive thought, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is my life. Yeah. I think it's... You're reminding me of something, uh, a really, like, significant moment when I was in hospital. A psychologist described OCD as having a liar in your brain, but you are a really bad judge of truth and lie. And I think it's that... Um, what I loved about the first episode that I watched was that I I didn't... That sounds really weird. What I loved about reliving my trauma was that... <laughs> that's not what I mean. But what I thought was really compelling related and related to when what was refreshing was that there was a real honesty in being afraid of your own mind and how fearful that is and how terrifying that is, especially when you're young and also the shame of that because people assume that's something you have control over when actually you're trying desperately to but it's not working yeah um, and the, the control is what's making it worse as well we must say to Kirsty, the screenwriter you've done an incredible job on bringing this off the page and onto the screen because Catherine was saying normally when she sees OCD portrayed on screen it's just like an old man washing his hands over and over yeah and he's always so sad <laughs> sad, but he really has to get them clean uh, but he's also usually like maintaining a very successful career as like a surgeon or something <laughs> right but he really has to get them clean and <laughs> uh, it's like nice to see oh him. yeah that was in scrubs wasn't you're it? welcome that yeah. was in scrubs that was michael j fox character in scrubs absolutely and every soap opera ever normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm at the nail salon. I'm at the grocery store. I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and the grocery store? I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Groceries through Instacart delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store. Kirsty, what drew you, because this show is created by women, what drew you to adapt this novel for the screen? It was just one of those books that you read and it kind of jumps down your throat and like puts its hands around your heart and squeezes until you're like crying and then it tickles it and then you're laughing and it just... That it, sounds like a frightening review it, of a book. Yeah. If it, I read that on Amazon, I'd be like, no. Yeah. Don't, yeah. It's Christmas, I, I, I just want something lighthearted. I want to just read Don't some of it. Yeah. I, I might need to read this on public transport. What if I'm paralysed by it? You know, like... But yeah, yeah. You see, it's an incredible book. Yeah, it was. And it just kind of ticked all the boxes for me in terms of the show that I wanted to write and hadn't written. Just the fact that it was about a young female protagonist. It was about someone with a mental health condition and like a country bumpkin going to London, which I massively identified with. <laughs> and just about young women and people who are trying to have relationships, but they can't have relationships. And this one central protagonist who's trying to live her life and trying to be a young woman and I think it's difficult especially in terms of sexuality like you I felt a lot of shame growing up like being young women around sex and I think that's what I identified with the most obviously not to the same degree as Rose but I think a lot of my friends did like I remember 
having a wank and my cousin walked in on me and was like I know what you're doing you're dirty and just like yeah I just having a shame surrounding sex and I, I felt that from the book and I was just like, I want to write this what do you think is the inherent feminism in the story and this is for any of you who are both the original writer and the screen adapter but also for you Charlie who played that central character was there a feminism that you were drawn to I mean it's an amazing part for a, a young actor to yeah. play and I know women often don't get offered roles with this amount of breadth and depth and fun and excitement. Um, is there an inherent feminism, do you think, in the part? Yeah, definitely. The reason I fell in love with the script initially was because um, Marnie's really funny, but not in a cutesy way or in an accidental way. She's not the punchline for the men in the show at all. She's mm. funny in a way that you really wouldn't know, think twice about if she was a male character. But she's not a manic pixie dream girl. Not at all. <laughs> she's almost the antithesis of it because I think she easily could be because she's got this big secret and there could be a lot of... Um, there's a lot of interesting situations that happen in the show which could have been handled in a quirky, cutesy way. And they're really not. They're quite bold and um, disconcerting at points in a really good way. But it's also the female relationships in the show, the friendships that Marnie makes when she comes to London and the ones that she leaves behind um, coming from Scotland are really, really powerful. And they're definitely, I think, kind of her anchor and her awe. What's the steering bit? The rudder? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> She's grounded by them, but they're directional. You'll edit this. <laughs> yeah, no, this is good. This is strong. This is really strong. Do you think there's something about the power structures prohibiting women from being sexual beings that means the prohibitive thought that comes in is in itself sexual? Like there's a scene where the chap comes out of the bedroom and offers to help her with something, and offers to get her a drink, and she just imagines grabbing his penis. Mm. And we see what she imagines. Do you think the nature of it, these intrusive thoughts being sexual, are directly linked to the shaming of women having a sexuality? There's an element of that in Marnie's character. She's having some pretty fucked up thoughts about bestiality and getting off with her mum, and um, she's really struggling with that for obvious reasons. But OCD is really like wide reaching as well. Like it's not always themes of this nature. And men Catherine was these... talking earlier about yeah about order, uh, cleanliness and order. But you know, some people with OCD will. You know, it can get really weird. Like, people will doubt about whether or not they're actually alive. People have doubts about whether or not they love their partners. Like, it's not always the, like, the violent intrusive thoughts, the sexually intrusive thoughts. That's how it manifested for me. But it's pretty broad. So I think it's much more about doubt and uncertainty and trying to get a handle on that doubt and uncertainty and trying to control it rather than uh, OCD, like, reflecting societal repression. I agree because it's not a rational entity. So, like, first of all, mm. men have these same sexual intrusive thoughts. That's it. But secondly, like, you can have as life-altering, as life-threatening, consistently debilitating intrusive thoughts about how you can't speak on voicemail, which I know sounds totally confounding if you've never experienced that but say you're a teacher and you have to ring people often or you're you work in an office and you have to and you're terrified of a phone that it can drive you if it's your consistent thought from morning to night to a place where you don't want to be alive and that is the kind of degree of 
irrationality that it so I, I don't know if it's as mm. um as logical or as um counter so as so those, those as things that. probably play in because they're fears that human beings have that I'll hurt somebody or that I'll do something sexually transgressive <laughs> but it's not yeah. necessarily restricted to women although those mm. things I mean we can never pull that apart really exactly. because those power structures exist how many people suffer from this do you know between 1.5 and 3% of the population. So between 1 and 3 it's a lot. people in 100. So in this room, we've got four, 500 people. So Yeah, I imagine there's a few obsessives in the room. <laughs> At a well, podcast show. I, de- I mean, come on. What, you think we're really into the podcast? <laughs> but also, but I think how we really support... Because there must be people then in our community, maybe people we're working with who are suffering from this who aren't talking about it. Like, how do we support that? I think believe people when they tell you what their illness is and don't try to explain to them why everyone has these feelings Mm. and maybe tell, like if they've gotten to a point where they're asking for help, help them figure out how to get it. We need to fund treatment. We need to understand it better. We need to recognize that it is debilitating. People are so flippant with OCD. Sorry, this is not about me. (laughs) But people are so flippant about OCD and it's like most people statistically... I mean, the statistics of people who have OCD and who are out of work, divorced, or living alone and end up dying from suicide are astronomically high. And yet people are like, lol, you should come around my house. You'd have a field day. And you're like, no, don't say that. Just uh, If you don't know what to say, that's fine. Totally get that. But just ask then. Yeah. Like, oh, what's that? Rather than, you should have seen the lady on blah. Like... Or, right. You know, like, have you seen Obsessive Cleaners or whatever that show on Channel 4? Right. So don't minimize it. Yeah. Is, uh, basically, and kind of make it the comedy disorder. We made a whole things. show making it a comedy, so was that? <laughs> no, yeah. I, yeah. I love this because it's so... It's good. You can laugh at it. And I yeah. think comedy kind of is a release for people. It, it kind of, I don't know, it disarms things that you're scared of. And like Rose's book gave us that tool to be funny about it and reverent about it and just like almost make fun at it of it because some of the thoughts that we've included that are in Rose's book as well are quite bizarre like mm. fingering a horse or getting teabagged by your dentist that's <laughs> quite funny until you obsess about it and it ruins your life and you can't leave your house so it's really important and I think to talk about it as well mental health is such a private experience and until you find some sort of power that helps you and like get it out of your head and and you spend so much time in your head you kind of miss stuff in the world and like maybe the tools to help you get past it and and I think things like this if we can just talk about it and educate people about it then it wouldn't become this big like it's almost like a coming out story telling someone you've got OCD or or some sort of mental disorder and this kind of just normalizes it. Guilty Feminist, it's Deborah. I'm just interrupting briefly to say I will be appearing at the amazing A Musical show where comedians sing numbers from musicals. I really want you to be there. It's on the 30th of January at the Backyard Comedy Club in London. Go to amusical.com for tickets. There aren't many left. Some of our favourite Guilty Feminist guests and co-hosts have shows on at the Vault Festival at Waterloo. Please, please, please go and see them. They are brilliant. On the 23rd and 24th of January at 6.10pm, you can see The Astonishing Pram Kicker, written by Sadie Hassler and starring Sadie Hassler and Sarah Mayhew. We have an episode we've recorded coming up about this. It's about somebody who decides she doesn't want to have a baby and it sort of ramifications and ripples out of that. So if you were at all interested in fertility, the choice not to have children, 
I honestly, I cried so much when I saw it and I laughed so much when I saw it and I just, I can't recommend that show highly enough. And from the 6th to the 10th of February, you can see the half. You will remember we did an episode where we met the writer, Danielle Ward, and the performers, Margaret Cable smith and Anna Crilly. This show is about female friendship, competition, colleagues, double acts. It's brilliantly funny, wickedly funny. Please go and see it too. You can get tickets for both those shows at vaultfestival.com. Now, the Guilty Feminist Tour kicks off in May, and there will be some of your most favourite guilty feminist comedians getting in a bus with me and we are coming to your town to see you. On the 1st of May, we'll be in Halifax. On the 2nd of May, we'll be at the Symphony Hall, Birmingham. At Hull City Hall on the 3rd of May, Newcastle City Hall on the 4th of May and the Lowry in Salford on the 5th of May. And it doesn't stop there for all of the dates around the country and to book tickets, go to guiltyfeminist.com. If you like listening to things like podcasts, I know that you do. Instead of buying my book and reading it yourself, why not let me read it to you? Along with some voices from the amazing Ajoa Ando. Go to audible.co.uk and search for Guilty Feminist. And whenever you think, oh, I wish there was a podcast now, but I've run out. You could just listen to a chapter of the book. And lastly, I'm coming back to Australia and New Zealand this February. That's right. I will be there very, very soon. I will be bringing the Guilty Feminist podcast to Q Theatre in Auckland on the 5th of February. You can go to qtheatre.co.nz for tickets. If you're in Melbourne, I'll be at the Thornbury Theatre on the 8th, 9th and 10th of Feb. Thornburytheatre.oztix.com.au and I am at the Brisbane Powerhouse Theatre on the 13th of Feb. Go to brisbanepowerhouse.org and I'll be at the Sydney Factory Theatre on the 15th and 17th of Feb. Factorytheatre.com.au As always, stop in at the Amnesty website and the Help Refugees websites to see what's going on, what you can support, uh, what you can volunteer for, what petitions you can sign and where you can donate to help make other people whose lives are much less luckier than ours just a little bit easier, as is the bedrock of feminism. Thank you very much. And now back to the podcast. So when people tune in, what should they expect to see? I was going to say tits, but it's, there's more to it than that. Um, I was going to yeah, say tits. I was like to my friend before, I was like, what should I say? And she was like, just say tits. I know, that's great. Um, she yeah. may have misunderstood our audience. <laughs> our demographic is not one that if you go, you'll see tits. There is a demographic for mm-hmm. that. That may be more something you should say on the last leg. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's also really intelligent and really funny and very well acted. I was going to, yeah, I'll, I'll say it properly. So I'll, otherwise I'll get told off for saying tits too many times. Um, but yeah, it's a relationship drama about someone who can't have relationships because of a chronic anxiety disorder. And it's a gang show about a young woman who goes to London to try and find herself, but she finds loads of other people as well. Charlie, what is it that you would like us to take from this show and your manifestation of Marnie? When we get to know Marnie, what are we going to get to know? I hope the people of Scotland approve of my accent. (laughs) They do. Thank you. (laughs) I know Kirsty's mum gave me the all clear, so I feel pretty confident about that. I really hope it's relatable to people with whatever anxiety 
they have, whether it be any kind of OCD, and there are lots of different kinds. I think anxiety is something that you can, that everyone can relate to in some way, and the idea that you are not your thoughts is really important, but it's something that's really hard to show. And I think the show does a really good job of grounding it in reality as well as making it funny so that it is accessible. I really hope that people talk about issues like this more as a result of it and have a way to talk about it maybe by referencing something funny in the show or something sad in the show or whatever it is that there's a springboard to talk about real situations because of something that they've seen on TV, which um, has come from these two amazing women. And I hope people go and read Rose's book, having seen the show, because it's really, really so special and it's so eye-opening. Even if you aren't someone that has OCD, it's a really remarkable book. It's a great show, I hope. But if you enjoy the show, then do also enjoy the book. Uh, and um, I, I, was, I was just going to say as well, like, um, I think, going back to the humour point, I think Charlie's really created a really iconic character with Marnie and Kirsty with the writing of it because she's so rounded and she's so likeable and she's got this thing that she's keeping secret for most of the show, but there's so much more to her as well. And people in the show fall in love with her and I think audiences are going to fall in love with her. And, and that's a, a kind of example of how like, we're not defined by our mental health conditions. Mm. And like, she just nailed it. Like, she's just, it was, it's just, I can't wait for you to see it because she's so beautiful in it. It's, it's lovely. Well, I absolutely loved watching the first episode. They're having a lovely moment here. Um, I loved watching the first episode and I am really excited that there are now spaces on network television for female authored pieces that are completely, completely from a female point of view, but that are exploring things like mental health, mm -hmm. but in funny and relatable and empathetic ways. And I feel like if we watch this, we're going to learn a lot about OCD and this mental health condition of Puro, but we're also going to relate to it because, as Charlie was saying, we all have anxiety and the idea that we are not our thoughts is a really, really powerful one. But I think we just need to support it because we need to constantly be sending messages to broadcasters. If you put on our screens female heroes living dangerously and bravely and not sweetly and cutely and falling over and going oh, but really living as you know three-dimensional human beings with egos and ids we will watch in droves we will instagram we will tweet we will tell other people so guilty feminists can you please 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 get behind this show because it really directly affects how many more women they will commission to tell female stories and we cannot build empathy for women as a society unless we see, hear, and experience our stories. We all empathize more with men because we've had years and years and years of Hollywood telling us that men are human and women are niche. So will you guys in this room get behind it and support it? Thank you. <laughs> Can I see when it's on? Let's see when it's on. We better tell them when it's on. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, we, we, please tell yeah. us when it's on. So we've That's just announced key. it. Um, it's going to be on on the 30th of January. It's a Wednesday. So cancel yoga or whatever you've got on. Um, it's on at 10 p.m. on Channel 4. I love that so you think I'm doing please. yoga at 10 p.m. Yeah, I was well, like, what? Well, this cancel is much better. Yoga. <laughs> cancel your 10 p.m. yoga class, <laughs> which, you, which you were definitely doing, i.e., 
bring your red wine into the living room is what she means. Um, and the more people who watch it and tweet about it on the night, they're the ratings they count and care about more. I know it's weird. I know it shouldn't matter because we all want to watch things on demand. But if you can't watch it, then, then catch up on 4OD. And internationally, how can people see it? Does anyone know? We don't know yet. <laughs> we don't know yet. But that's why everyone can give it great ratings. <laughs> yeah. Everywhere. If, if you live yeah. in another country and you'd really like to see Buy Pure... It. Watch it illegally. <laughs> Um, no, don't watch it illegally. <laughs> but tweet at Channel 4 and say, hey, we'd love to see this and we live in Australia. Mm. And then they'll know there's room and it will help them sell it abroad. But we desperately, desperately need more female Walter Whites. We need more female Don Drapers. We need more female stories told. I have no vested interest in this. I don't have shares in this show. I don't know. I just met these people tonight. But I feel so strongly... If we won't support it when it happens, it goes away because they're so driven by market forces. So please get on board and watch at least one or two episodes. And I really genuinely believe if you watch one or two, you will be compelled to watch the rest. You can Not binge a diagnosis. it. After the first episode, you can binge it all on oh, all four. Yeah, and then it'll be shown every week after that as well. On all fours. Amazing. All fours. Thanks for Great. It's so good. It's so good. It's it's really good. Are you going to go and binge it? Yeah, it's like it's 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 really funny and it's it's excellent. You should. It's funny. It's heartwarming. It's beautiful. It's moving and it's a peculiarly female story and it's about mental health. But it's not as you say somebody's sad washing their hands over and over. It's which is how that surgeon has a story and I'm real sad for him. But I just want I just nice more stories, more stories, more stories. Catherine, do you have anything to plug? Oh my gosh, yes, thank you. I have a show uh, about amongst things. It's about me having OCD, but it's also about being uh, the bisexual daughter of a Catholic deacon and all of those things uh, in one show. Believe it or not, uh, called Immaculate is at the Soho Theatre on the 25th of February through to the 2nd of March, and I'm also trying stuff for my new show over the following year, and you can find. And dates for that on my website, katherinebohart.com. So watch both Immaculate and Pure. We found the theme. Also, Grown Up Land is Back, uh, which uh, was uh, created by me and exec produced by me, but has the wonderful May Martin, Bishop Kayali, and Bishop in Hollywood at the moment. So there's some wonderful rotating guest co-hosts who you will know and love. And also Ned Sedgwick from Global Pillage. Also check out the latest series of Global Pillage. And I think there's a few tickets left for A Musical. A Musical is on the 30th of January. It's comedians singing songs from musicals. It's a regular show. It's so much fun. Like the audience go, not crazy, foolish. The audience go, the audience are very enthusiastic. What fools they are. I, the oh. audience go, I think I am crazy enough to say crazy. I feel like I own crazy. I would, I'm not crazy enough to say them at all. Yes, yeah, sorry. Okay. <laughs> 30th of January, it's called A Musical. Buy tickets now. There aren't many left. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Abra Brooks' wife, guest co-host, Catherine Bohart, and our very special guest, Rose Cartwright, Charlie Clive, and Kirsty Swain. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Slinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Zoe, Jacob, Sally, and everyone at King's Place, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Thank you. Great. Thank you. I fancy I mean, voluptuous. And voluptuous do make you sound like both sound creepy, but I think they're both fine. <laughs> they just sound like you learnt about women in a book alone in the dark. Which is <laughs> fine.
fine. Yeah. How did you know about women? <laughs> I went to an old girls' school. Shall we? Um... Right. 